Microsoft wants to streamline the various outlooks that they have. They have so many different oh. ones that every time they update it, they have to update it on the Mac and they have to update it on Android and they have to update it on the web and Windows and it's just a mess for them. That's why they're doing it. Hey, GitHub yeah. Copilot, just shove it in there and see what GitHub spits <laughs> out, right? Let's see what happens. <laughs> Compile. <laughs> Welcome to GeekWire, I'm Todd Bishop. It was a big week for Microsoft with the unveiling of the company's latest Windows and AI features and new service devices at a special event in New York City on Thursday. This was preceded by only a few days by the surprise resignation of Panos Panay, the chief product officer in charge of the company's Windows and Devices division. To help sort it all out, I'm excited to be joined by someone who was at the event in New York and who has covered the company for many years, journalist Mary Jo Foley, editor-in-chief at directionsonmicrosoft.com. Mary Jo, it's great to see you. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to start by asking you about something that Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said at one point at the outset of the event. I mean, it's crazy. It's kind of like the 90s are back. Uh, it's exciting uh, to be in a place where we're bringing some software innovation and really having fun, enjoying uh, this entire journey. Of course, he said it's kind of like the 90s are back. Did it feel that way there? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's exciting because this is something different and new, and you kind of get jaded over the over the years. You're like another Surface, another Windows release. You know, it just feels like the same old, same old. And this is definitely something new: the Copilot stuff and the AI stuff. But I don't know. Saying it was like the 90s, I think that's a little bit of a stretch for me. Anyway. Yeah, we're talking Windows 95, right. Internet Explorer, Clippy. <laughs> exactly. Come on, the real highlights of that year. <laughs> so the big picture news was this attempt by Microsoft to wrap up basically everything that it's doing in AI under this new brand called Copilot. Actually, it's not a new brand, but it's a streamlined brand, I guess, when they call it Microsoft Copilot. How much of what we saw this week was new and notable versus them putting an AI halo on stuff we've already seen? Uh, that's a good way of putting it, an AI halo. Uh, I feel like in some ways, they're what they're trying to do is useful. They're trying to clean up the branding because this whole year they've been launching things, sometimes called Copilot, sometimes called Bing Chat, Bing Chat Enterprise, you know, and there's all these names. And I think people were very confused about what would I use where? And so that what they're trying to do, at least on the consumer side, is consolidate everything under that one brand, Microsoft Copilot. But I don't think a lot of people understood this. So it wasn't stated plainly. That's not the only Copilot brand. Like Microsoft 365 Copilot still exists as a brand. GitHub Copilot still exists as a brand. Um, there's Copilots and Dynamics and Power BI. Uh, all of those are separate. They are not under the Microsoft Copilot brand. And I, I actually think that's good because even though the co-pilots all have the same underlying technology stack and to some extent the same UI, they aren't the same thing. Like they pull from different data sources. They have different levels of security. Um, they they just aren't doing the same job across the whole entire Microsoft consumer to enterprise stack. So I, I don't think you could really call them all plain old co-pilot, but on the, on the consumer side, maybe you can. 
Where would you put this moment in the context of Microsoft's history? Is this a new platform? Because it feels to me like that's really what they're trying to do here. Even though it isn't a unified operating system like Windows was, or even a unified cloud platform like Azure is, it feels like they're trying to say, okay, this is our new thing. If that's the case, how big of a deal is this in the context of Microsoft's history? So the one thing I think that they're really trying to do with this strategy, and again, not clearly stated or plainly stated, but it kind of felt like this to me yesterday at the event, was they're trying to unify consumer and enterprise, mm. right? Like you said, it's tr they're trying to make a consistent, for better word, fabric or experience across consumer and enterprise. The idea is Microsoft's never been that good at consumer and they've been very strong in the enterprise and they've kept trying to do things like put Teams consumer in there for consumers or put Xbox gaming stuff in Windows so that maybe the enterprise users will use it when they're using their desktop or Teams, right? And so this, I feel like, is maybe a better chance for them if, if all their stars align to have a consistent experience across consumer and enterprise. Okay. So yeah, a, a pretty big deal, you know? Uh, if, again, if they can pull it off, because this is a pretty ambitious strategy, and especially with Microsoft 365 Copilot, I'm a little worried. Actually, when they announced the commercial availability date of that yesterday as being November 1st, when I tweeted it, I put yikes yes. as my hashtag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, is this ready? Like, it's been in private beta with only 600 customers since June. Like, is this ready to be launched as commercially available? <laughs> Clicking on that yikes hashtag, you never know what that's going to bring up on Twitter or X. So it's that's a little scary. High be stakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, to your point, in addition to Windows and the Surface devices, Microsoft 365 Copilot was one of the most interesting pieces of news. As you said, they're announcing that that's going to be coming out on November 1st. I know this is a big focus for you and for the teams at Directions on Microsoft. So I want to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop. It's great to be joined this week by Mary Jo Foley. She comes on the show periodically when I urge her to, <laughs> twisting her arm uh, on direct messages on Twitter or X, and, and I'm always very grateful when she does. So, Mary Jo, you were just saying that November 1st seems ambitious for Microsoft 365 Copilot. I know you have a window into this through the team at Directions on Microsoft and your own conversations okay. with enterprise customers. Do you feel like it's too soon? I do. I, I have to say I really do. And I know Google is breathing down their necks because Google is doing what Microsoft's doing, and they're including their own version of Copilot called Bard into everything, right? So... Microsoft doesn't want to be left behind because they had kind of a head start into this race. And so I think they're just they're just saying, OK, let's go like let's just market generally available. And I don't even know if there'll still be a preview tag on it when it does become commercially available. But that's again, because Microsoft's going to charge thirty dollars per user per month for this. I feel like 
Um, it better be pretty good for that price because big companies who might want to buy, you know, a thousand seats, 10,000 seats, they don't want to be doing your beta testing for you while paying you $30 per user per month. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. If you look at some of these enterprise licensing plans, that amount is more than they're paying right now for the baseline functionality of Microsoft 365. Right. So if you're if you're a business customer, first, to, in order to use Microsoft 365 Copilot, and if you're a big company, you've got to have Microsoft 365 E3 or E5. Those are expensive plans, right? Microsoft 365 E5, I think it's like $57 per user per month. Okay, then add on top of that $30 more per user per month for Copilot. And if you're if you're somebody who is in the mid mid-range, you know, if you're using one of the Microsoft business plans, again, it's still really expensive. You have to pay that $30 per user per month. And right now, I don't believe there's any volume discounts, you know, which a lot of enterprise customers count on when they're buying something very expensive. They're like, okay, but if I buy a lot of it, Microsoft will give me a discount. Right now, there is no discount that we know of on that. So if you're buying in, it, it's a big buy-in. Plus, you even before you buy in, you have to make sure all your data is secure and you have to spend the time making sure nothing's going to leak so that all your things are stored properly, however you store them, SharePoint, OneDrive, whatever. Uh, you have to really spend some time, effort, maybe even use more Microsoft software, you know, like tools to make sure your data is all secure before you implement Copilot. So it's not just a, you know, like impulse purchase kind of a deal. It's definitely going to be something your company has to think which employees get this? Not everybody should get it, especially at the beginning when it's still new. And are we ready to implement it? So yeah, it's it's a big deal if you buy into this uh, as a corporate customer. For people who have not followed this particular feature, it's essentially in my mind like a virtual executive assistant where right. it'll come in, it'll summarize meetings, it'll write emails. It'll catch you up on what's going on in your email inbox. Microsoft announced the new Microsoft 365 chat feature this week that is essentially a rebranding of something they had shown before. Like, I look at this and I go, okay, for 30 bucks per user per month, and I realize that the economics of different businesses are different, but like, could they piece together different point solutions, kind of like the business equivalent of an a la carte streaming service, you know, like where you only yeah. need Netflix or Hulu, you don't need the entire cable package here. Yeah, I, I wonder that too, especially because of this thing called Bing Chat Enterprise that they have already announced and actually is already available if you want to try it out. You have to have Azure Active Directory and connect Bing in with that, uh, you know, sign into your work account, then connect it. Um, if you do that, you can already do some pretty interesting things. And if you're willing to feed your own data in, it will do a lot of the things, not everything, but a lot of the things that Copilot can do. Like if you want to summarize an email, you could cut and paste the text and put it into Bing Chat Enterprise, and it will do that same function for you. I called it the poor man, poor woman's Copilot in a way, right? Like if you have Microsoft... 365 E3 or E5, you get it for free. You get Bing Chat Enterprise for free. And if you don't, you pay $5 per user per month. So five versus 30, you know, it does definitely does not do everything Copilot does. And it's not as secure. It's not as complete. It doesn't go across apps like that thing you were talking about, the chat, Microsoft 365 chat, um, formerly called business chat. That 
actually lets you go across your office apps and pull different things. Like if you're going into a meeting, just say, show me everything, every interaction I've had with Todd in the past six months, and it'll pull from all different places. That's unique to Copilot. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely places I could see it being applicable. Somebody at the event this week asked me what I would use it for if I had it. Um, and I said, the biggest thing I could see right away I would use it for is all these legal documents we have to look at when we're talking about like Activision or whatever. I would just say, summarize this document for me and tell me the top five points, right? I, I would love that. That would be amazing. Absolutely. Um, but right. <laughs> not only that, maybe in a Microsoft Enterprise licensing agreement. How about that? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I know. Good luck. Good luck to Copilot, though. Those are pretty complicated. I'm not even sure Copilot could get through that. I, I'm amazed our analysts can get through that. <laughs> but also Teams meeting, right? Like that's another one where I'm like, OK, because here's another uh, application. Say you're really busy. You're not paying attention to the Teams meeting you're in or you can't, maybe can't even attend yourself. At some point, you're going to be able to send a delegate and say, tell me what happened in that meeting. Give me all the things that I need to know that happened in that meeting. And for people who are in a lot of meetings, that is going to be invaluable, right? <laughs> it just strikes me here that, like, I'll give you another example of something that I do. I subscribe to ChatGPT Plus, and they have these plugins, and you can upload a PDF and have it analyze it very easily. I interviewed Bob Muglia this past week at a book oh, nice. event. Yeah, a <laughs> former Microsoft server and tools chief, Snowflake yep. CEO, and he, he wrote a great book called Datapreneurs. And I interviewed him, but I happened to have the PDF of the book. And I had read it and listened to the audio book, but to refresh my memory, I went back in and I just uploaded the PDF. I thought about that later. I was like, whoa, did I do some sort of copyright violation there? But at oh. any rate, yeah. Um, Bob, if you're listening, apologies. But <laughs> it's very easy just for 20 bucks a month to say, yeah. okay, use this plugin, give me a summary, if you don't need all that other stuff that you're talking right. about. Right. But the other thing that comes to mind, Mary Jo, for me is, did Microsoft give up on Cortana to soon? Or might we see the return of their voice assistant in all of this? <laughs> it's funny because some people think Cortana uh, was like the precursor to the co-pilot, right? And, right? and Microsoft had a really big ambition for Cortana that I, I'm not sure they're going to try to replicate with co-pilot. Now I'm just talking off the top of my head because yep. I don't think they've really made this plane either. But with Cortana, I felt like the goal was to have one personal assistant that would follow you across everything you were doing in work and, and personal life. And you could always just be kind of uh, feeding more and more data into it. It would get smarter and it would know like what when you said the word Bob, you meant Muglia, right? I don't know if that's the same thing they intend to do with the co-pilot. I mean, maybe at some point when they really do spend uh, consumer and enterprise, it will work like that. But I, I feel like Right now, what they're doing is lots of different co-pilots. Like there's a co-pilot for um, specific apps within Dynamics. Like they have multiple co-pilots in Dynamics, multiple co-pilots in Power, in Power Platform. Um, I think we're going to see the case where co-pilots exist in plural and it's not just one that goes across everything because the use cases are so different. Like this, the way you would use a co-pilot if you were using sale, uh, like uh, the co-pilot sales application is very different than using Copilot for like shopping for sneakers like they showed as an example in the event this week. They're not the same data set. They're not the same kind of search. Um, you'd have different kind of plugins that you would use for the consumer versus the enterprise. So I think 
if I were just kind of thinking, how does Cortana compare to Copilot? I would think they were two different strategies. Like Cortana was super ambitious and it just never panned out. Um, and I don't think they'll, I don't think they can try that at least in the near term to pull that same strategy off again. I think instead you'll just see more specialized co-pilots that will probably work together uh, over time. A lot of these new features will start rolling out on September 26th with a Windows 11 update. <laughs> and there are some generative AI capabilities that are being added to apps like Paint and Photos and ClipChamp. Um, frankly, I know I'm kind of a basic kind of person, but I'm just happy that Notepad is going to be saving my content now when I take notes in there. Auto-save at Notepad, yes. <laughs> new version of Outlook. Is this measurably different than what we've seen before? Uh, have you tried the new Outlook, the thing that's not yet. Monarch? Not okay. yet. So the new Outlook um, for Windows, this is just for Windows. It's meant to unify Outlook across the web, uh, standalone Windows app, uh, and one other place that I'm drawing a blank on now. But there's three different Outlooks for Windows right now, and it's going to bring the three together into a single app. It looks a lot and works a lot like Outlook for the web, if you've ever used yes, that application. I have. Yeah. Um, so for people who are basic email users, it's fine. And right now it's in preview. You can try it out. And very soon it's going to replace the built-in mail and calendar app that's in Windows 11. But if you're a power user, a business user, and you try this out, all you can see in your own world is all the features that it's missing that oh. you need. Yeah. So business users are flipping out about this and they're they're just like, oh, they cannot be serious. Like they're really going to make me at some point dump the Outlook that I use and know now. And with with for this app that's much more streamlined and has fewer features, really. And so Microsoft's trying to appease them and say, that's probably not going to happen for like two years. But I was telling somebody that yesterday at the event and they said, yeah, two years for consumers is a long time. Two years for businesses is not a long time. So they have a lot of work to do in terms, like offline mode is still not there. Mm -hmm. So for business users, that's like a deal breaker, right? You can't have email without offline mode. That's just not a thing. You can't have certain kind of plugins that your company has custom built to work in Outlook. It's just not supported anymore because they're, they're dropping support for security reasons, primarily of comm objects inside of the application. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of things that businesses are really not happy about with that, but they are going to add Copilot to it, so that you know it's like it's a trade-off. But I'm not sure businesses are willing to see that as an equal trade-off. Why? Why not leave well enough alone? Yeah, it, Microsoft wants to streamline the various outlooks that they have. They have so many different ones that every time they update it, they have to update it on the Mac, and they have to update it on Android, and they have to update it on the web and Windows, and it's just a mess for them to try to keep everything in sync and to try to do rapid updates because you have to make sure you're updating all the different platforms that you have. So they think by consolidating this, it'll help them get updates out more quickly and thoroughly across all the platforms. That's why they're doing it, they say. Isn't this what HTML and JavaScript were supposed to solve? <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, back like a decade. Right. I know they switched I away know. from that back to native apps yeah. and that whole thing. Copilot Outlook scares me a little bit too because I'm not a focused inbox user. I don't know if you ever use that feature, but uh, I, occasionally, it, occasionally, right? Supposed to separate out your spam from your really important messages and kind of make your most important things front and center. And I tried it a few times, and I felt like it was putting all the wrong things on the spam folder. And they said, just give it time; it'll learn. But I. For me, that's just not okay. 
And I'm worried that Copilot could be that way too. Like if you ask Copilot to write a message, you've got to really thoroughly check your work and make sure it's, you know, doing doing the right tone, sending the right sending it to the right people, not putting some flip thing at the end that you don't want to send to your boss. So I'm a little scared to count on on an AI in my email. That's like one of those applications. I'm like, ooh, that seems scary. Yeah, a career-limiting maneuver in the form of a generative AI chat, yeah, that you don't even notice. Exactly. So we are on Google Apps here, and I'm a Windows user, so I could see myself trying to incorporate this and adopt Outlook. In fact, I started to download what I thought was the outlook from the link from the Microsoft blog post yesterday. And I saw that the reviews in the store, the Microsoft store were just like crazy, horrible. Yeah. So I, yeah. I didn't, and I figured I'll just yeah. wait, but. Yeah, there's no rush. <laughs> yeah. And Google, by the way, is offering its own premium workspace add-ins that I've debated whether to do and had sort of the same debate in my mind of whether I should just use these point solutions. And that's sort of what we're doing right now. Duet AI is what Google calls theirs. Oh, duet. I, I called it Bard before. I'm like, I don't think it's no. called Bard. It's called something else, right? Well, well the, the chatbot is Bard. Okay. Okay, Mary Jo, if I could keep you around for one more short segment, yep. I've got to get your thoughts on Panos. So let's okay. talk about that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with Mary Jo Foley. Mary Jo is the editor-in-chief at DirectionsOnMicrosoft.com. I'll link to the post that she has published on DirectionsOnMicrosoft.com about some of Microsoft's announcements this week, and especially the Microsoft 365 implications of those. But Mary Jo, for me, the week started with a surprise. Now, maybe I'm just yes. surprised by everything. If it's news, it's news to me, right? But, <laughs> but Panos Panay, who was the longtime Microsoft Surface chief, he was promoted in recent years to a larger role within Windows, and he was kind of the soul of that organization, at least as it relates to the hardware, or at least that was the impression he gave during the events because he was uh, s such a passionate person who was always very pumped to, to talk about things. <laughs> did this surprise you, his news that he was leaving Microsoft? Uh, it did because of the timing, right? Uh, like he was, uh, I think a week ago was tweeting, see you all in New York at the big Microsoft event. Um, and then it was like, oh yeah, he's leaving on Monday, right? few days before the event. Uh, so that did surprise me. I have been wondering, though, and I've asked around about this in the past few months, what was going on with him and the org? Because it felt more and more like Microsoft was kind of pulling back from what he wanted to do with Surface, right? He wanted it to be super experimental, do things like Surface Duo, the dual screen Android phone, basically, that they came out with. He wanted to try different form factors, crazy ones, um, interesting ones. But Microsoft these days is all about, is it making money or no? If it's no, 
bye. Right. So I I just kept wondering, like, how long is Surface going to stay around, at least in the guise that he wanted it to be? I could see them continuing it, you know, basic models uh, of laptop, of uh, the Go, the smaller screen Go, Surface Hub, probably the very large screen ones for uh, whiteboarding and big conference room use. I could see them continuing those lines because businesses are buying them. But I, I don't believe Surface is profitable. I know they make money revenue-wise, but I've never seen Microsoft claim it was profitable. And these days, if you're not profitable and you're not on the road to being a $10 billion business, I don't think you're going to be sticking around at Microsoft. Microsoft's hardware revenue last year, if I remember correctly, last fiscal year was in the $5 billion range, down from the $7 billion range. I'm not looking at the financials as we're talking, but that was the, the gist. And the hardware margins are so tough. It's such a difficult business. And to your point, under Panos and in general, Microsoft held these service devices up, yes, as consumer and enterprise devices or business devices, but also as proof of concepts in some form that were meant in part to encourage other hardware makers to follow suit. And that was kind of their original pitch as a way of getting into hardware. It was like, hey, we're not competing with you OEMs we're leading you you know like or not leading we're leading you in this direction and uh, right. you know i could see where in this new reality it's a little bit more austere inside microsoft it's not quite shrimp and weenies if i could <laughs> pull out an old reference the towels are still there oh my gosh, remember that i forgot about the towels <laughs> the whole thing was when they wanted to the people were commuting in and the, they wanted to have towels after the shower and there was a cutbacks and they anyway Yes, shrimp, yeah. weenies, and towels is kind of the Microsoft still code there, for cutbacks. <laughs> At any rate, I could see where yeah. his vision, you know, anecdotally, Mary Jo, I, I've heard that the cutbacks across Microsoft, but also in the Surface division were something that did not set well with Panos. Now, I could believe that. Yeah. yeah. Now, there was a report shortly after the announcement that he was leaving Microsoft by Bloomberg News that he was going to be going to Amazon, and we're recording this on Friday late morning Pacific time. And as of now, that has not been confirmed. Right. It also hasn't been denied, which it would have been had it been totally untrue. I would think so, yeah. Uh, there's gotta be some kind of behind the scenes, Charlie Bell style conversations going on about whether he's going to be taking trade secrets. That's what I understand. It's not so much the competition. It's like, does he know things? And that's where I think Microsoft's push into AI would be a real conflict. Right. I would think so too, right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't mean to go on and on here. I, I'm curious, first off, what was his legacy in your view at Microsoft, Panos's? I mostly think of him as hardware, right? Yep. So I th when I think of how did the Surface brand kind of evolve and become known, and he, he's the face of Surface, right? He did become the head of Windows, but I feel like he did it because nobody else wanted to in some ways, right? <laughs> Not because he was like, he became a champion of Windows, but mostly I feel like because he wanted the hardware and software to work well together. And that probably was a big reason, I would think, why he would want to step into the Windows rule. Um, so, But whenever I think of him, I think hardware. I mean, he started out at Microsoft working on the um, original thing that was called Surface, which was that giant table. Yes, the big Remember ass table. Thing? I was going to say that. I didn't know if we could say it on the show. Um, <laughs> I think we're okay. <laughs> but yeah, he that was where he started at Microsoft, right? Um, was working on that. 
Uh, so he's he's come through the ranks on the hardware side and be, his team at uh, in the surface division, I never heard anybody say a bad thing about him on his team. Like mm. people are always like, Panos has our backs. He wants us to try new things. He is in our corner. And you don't hear that a lot at Microsoft, right? For when you talk to people about their bosses. <laughs> you know, it's funny. One of the only other people that, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the only other people in the past who that was the case for was like Bob Muglia. <laughs> right. I know. Bob Muglia's team loved him too. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. But now what I'm really interested in now that Panos has left, it was interesting to see what they did as his replacement, right? there, He has no direct replacement. There's no new chief product officer at Microsoft to take his old title. Instead, they dispersed his various roles among different teams and different parts of the business. And so the two people I'm most interested in, I don't remember either of their names because I've never heard of these people before. <laughs> yeah. But one of them um, is mostly known for working in the Silicon part of Microsoft because Microsoft has big ambitions, not just to build its own chips in the data center, but to try to maybe do what Apple's doing also on the client side, right, and build their own chips uh, for Windows client devices, we think. And then the other person is who's heading up web services is mostly known for working in the advertising part of Microsoft. Uh, so that's a little scary to people who are bummed out about all the ads that are showing up throughout various Microsoft products. They're like, oh no, this means even more ads are gonna show up and more experiences. But what I think is may happen, and I'm not the one to initially predict this. I think Windows Central Zach Bowden predicted this first, but a completely cloud-based client that's fueled by advertising, possibly coupled with hardware, so that it's a very cheap option, but you get ads as the way to offset the lower cost. So I think there could be a lot of interesting things that they do now, but there's not going to be another person who stands in for Panos the way Panos has been doing this job. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the person responsible for the silicon is Pavan Davuluri. That's and correct. And the yes. other person that you mentioned who's more on the Windows and Web Experiences team is Mikhail Parakin. And I'm sure I'm butchering yes. their names, but but those are the folks <laughs> yes. you're referring to. They are. <laughs> Sorry, I did not remember their names. I, yeah, They're not I, household I, names like he know. was. Yes. They are not. They are not. Even at the event this week, Microsoft, like you said, announced some new Surface hardware. And uh, another person whose name is escaping me, Brent, I forget his last name. Uh, sorry, Brent. He was up on stage and he actually said, I'm pumped or we're pumped one time <laughs> just for legacy's sake, I guess. And then he presented the Surface stuff, not the way Panos used to present it, which was all, you know, pomp and circumstance. He just was very matter of fact. He was excited. You could tell about the hardware, but it was a very, very different feel in terms of how the hardware was presented. And then Yusuf Mehdi, who we know, uh, who's been at Microsoft since the 90s, um, was originally on Windows 95 and now works on, as a consumer marketing chief, I believe. He is going to be interacting uh, with OEM partners and retail on uh, the Surface business. So that'll be interesting. If you look back over the last few years, from a journalist perspective, I know that it's not the '90s again. But do you feel like <laughs> do you feel like at least in terms of its nature as a subject, is Microsoft a more compelling company today than it was, say, two years ago? Um, I think it is for people who kind of lost their interest in Microsoft. What I'm I'm somebody who covers the enterprise side of Microsoft, so 
I kind of like the state and boring stuff that makes all the money. Yeah. Like that's my that's my wheelhouse, right? So I don't need all the new logos and like sizzle videos and that kind of stuff. I I find the part that other people may find boring at Microsoft to be very interesting because that's where all the money happens, right? Like all the enterprise products, all the things that have all these hard to remember new brands like Entra, Priva, Purview. That's what I think is interesting. But this is, you know, this is fun for people who thought Microsoft got boring and now they're kind of more exciting, something that people can understand and appreciate who don't care about the little intricacies of the enterprise business, I'd say. For me, it's you're getting more surprise twists these days, even if it isn't quite the 90s. Yes, you are. You are definitely. And things that you thought they'll never do that. Suddenly they're doing it. Right. And it's like, oh, wait, they they are doing that. That's crazy. And so I think, yeah, the element of surprise, I think, makes it more fun. I felt like for many years I could predict pretty accurately what Microsoft was going to do next. And now I don't feel like I can. By the way, Brett Ostrom. Brett Ostrom. That's was right. the person yes. you were trying to remember who's yes. essentially the new leader of the Surface product team, but yes. not really in the same role as Panos was. And by the way, shout out to Tom Warren and The Verge for their live blog from the event. That's where I just found this. I went back and right. looked at it. Right. That was it. great. It yep. was actually very helpful um, just because Microsoft didn't live stream at this time, which was very I odd. I know. It was odd. It was very surprising. When they invited us to, to the event, uh, they said, please don't tell people you're going to be at the live event until you're there because I think they're just like, people are going to expect a live stream and we're not doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Mary Jo, I could talk to you for, for a long time about this stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. I want to make sure folks check out directionsonmicrosoft.com and see everything that you and the team there do. And I'll link to that from the show notes. Thanks again, Mary Jo. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Mary Jo Foley is Editor-in-Chief at directionsonmicrosoft.com. Thanks for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast. 